0: Welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Conor Vera. Marler, we are finally doing an Iron Bowl for It Just Meant More. Can you believe it?
1: I, yeah, I can. I, um, I, you know, I didn't think it was going to be this specific Iron Bowl, but I knew it was going to be one similar to this specific Iron Bowl.
0: We are talking today, 1982, bow over the top, a game that has, has lived on for, for 38 years and is probably going to be on SEC Network uh, once a week for the rest of time. Yep. Um, maybe sure. it's up there for the single most famous games that we have done. I think yeah, you can I would say agree that. with that. And it's the oldest game that we've done as well, if I'm not mistaken. We've talked about no, older the, subjects.
1: No, the South carolina George game, nineteen. We didn't do that
0: for It Just Meant More, though we did that for Debates Down South.
1: Oh, you're right. Okay. Yeah, this is the oldest one.
0: And go figure, it came after I said, oh yeah, we're going to do like a newer game or something like that. We'll do a game for the last last few years. But um, the, the death of the late Pat Dye was one of the reasons that we wanted to be able to do this game. The, the former Auburn coach, athletic director, this was such a, a huge moment for him to right. be able to, to beat Bear Bryant, the coach that he used to work under during his days at Alabama. Um, it, it was a uh, you've arrived moment for him to be able to end the streak of nine straight years of losing to Alabama, and of course, this game had an ending that has stood the test of time with one of the great college football players ever.
1: Yeah, it was uh, so. For the most part, the the game itself wasn't super exciting because it was it has like the, the score does have this whole back and forth like feel to it. Like, you know, you, it looks like it was like super close the whole time and it, and it was, but at the same time, and maybe this is just through crimson colored glasses, it wasn't like, <laughs> like you look at some of the stats and, and you look at going into it, and we'll talk about it obviously, um, how important that was going into just like the, the history going into this game was, it, it's not like it is now where I felt like, you know, a lot of times people will say, you can throw out the history books or you can throw out the record books, you know, when, when these two teams, you know, play each other. And there's a lot of times, I think, where in this rivalry specifically, there have, one, been all the greatest moments for the most part are overwhelmingly on Auburn's side. Yeah. Every single one of them. Um, the other part of that is it really, you didn't have a lot of instances where a, a top-ranked Bama team was ever going to be close to losing to an unranked Auburn team. It just it, it just didn't happen. Uh, and, and that's not like a slight at Auburn. It's just it, it kind of shows how crazy of the ending this game really, really was because we hadn't seen anything like this in in like the previous nine years. This game had a lot of different things to it that are that, that
0: that I think you'll you'll look back on and even even somebody who has consumed this rivalry for a long time and is like oh yeah that was part of this game oh yeah this is this is Bear Bryant's last Iron Bowl this is yeah you know, this is the game that 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 really put Pat Dye on the map in terms of mm-hmm. a, a guy who was changing things at Auburn it's uh you know it, it took seven years after this game in order for um, Auburn to finally play the Iron Bowl of course at Jordan Hare Stadium. But before that all happened, and this game is being played at Legion Field, and you've got a 50-50 crowd, it has a much different feel. And I'll be honest, this is the first time that I have watched a full game back that has been played
1: at yeah. Legion Field. Well, oh, you're young. Um, okay, so if you, if you haven't, if you haven't, um, if you're not familiar with what Connor's talking about either, it's it's in very similar to how Georgia and Florida play in Jacksonville. Uh, or not very similarly, but kind of similarly to that. Yeah. Um they would play the uh, the Iron Bowl every single year in Birmingham. It was split 50-50. And and people don't realize this either. This was only the 49th edition of the Iron Bowl because they had to stop playing it for so many years because of all of the politics that went involved with it, but also all like the the violence that happened after the games and just like the two these two schools and fan bases just couldn't agree on anything. So it's it's still relatively young in comparison to other rivalries but they played it every single year in in legion field uh in downtown birmingham off arkadelphia street it's the first place i ever saw a football game 1990 brett Favre, southern miss beat alabama um the reason that was an issue and the people i know with georgia florida they get upset a lot of times because it's in florida it's you know it's in their home state whatever this was even worse i think for for auburn fans um because at the time Tuscaloosa didn't play they didn't play any of their big games in Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa was, I think still just a, a lower bowl. It had about 60,000 uh, fans, and that, that's, that was the capacity. So any big game and at the time Bama played a lot of them, Penn State, Notre Dame, all these you know big national matchups, they were all played in, in Legion Field. So their biggest home games were played in the same place. they're like, "Oh you know we'll split it 50/50 with you guys. So it, was, it seemed like it was pretty unfair for Auburn. Um, and that was just like another little piece of like the whole puzzle, I think, that was you know, or another layer, I guess, of, of the onion. Is that what you call it? You... Yeah, sure. Layer of the onion. Yeah. There
0: you go. Uh Jim Dunaway, who does great work for WJOX, uh, said, you know, he he kind of also points to this being very much Birmingham being a very pro Alabama town. And that's, oh, yeah. that's just kind of the way it is. And it doesn't always feel like that, like it is a, a true fifty fifty split. And there are moments in this game when you're like, oh hey. The Auburn contingency, and obviously with Bo scoring the game-winning touchdown, it very much felt like Auburn was represented on that day. Without okay. a doubt. We have so many things to get to with this game. But before we do all of that, Marler, our friends at Online, tell us about them.
1: Guys, um, we bring it up each and every episode. Get on over to BetOnline.ag today. It's looking more and more... Like, we're going to have sports. Maybe not baseball, Connor, OK? Maybe oh. not baseball. However, yeah, you're right. Um, basketball seems to be coming back. Coming Was to that Orlando. Real? Let's go. There you go. Let's all go. right, so basketball, you start gambling on that. Uh, it looks like we are definitely going to have a college football season, obviously. Um, so make sure you keep the optimism about that. But you can start betting on not just Malaysian tennis, not just Korean baseball. We're going to have NBA games soon. We're going to have college ball games. You can bet on college football over-unders, win totals, all that right now. Um, Saw some video yesterday of, of Bryce Young throwing the ball to Jalen Waddle, Might be hopping on that Heisman train, just saying. Uh, and that's all in addition to even playing poker as well, like I have, and had a and made a killing over there as well. So get up, over to betonline.ag today and uh, and make some money with your Uncle Chris.
0: Let's start with Pat Dye. The Auburn coach... You know what?
1: No, let's not. I want to start something. No, I'm kidding. Let's
0: start there. <laughs> Year two at Auburn, and of course... Everybody knows at this point the the former Bear Bryant's assistant who had worked with him uh, for for nearly a decade at Alabama and was similar in the way that he presented himself, but uh, very but had some some significant differences like you know the, the the swagger of course was there. you know the the famous line at his opening press conference, what he's asked how long, will take you to beat Alabama. And he says 60 minutes. And yeah, I mean, it took him two games, but at least, you know, he was able to, to live up to that. But very, very different in a lot of the way that he approached the public in the way that he approached the media. And I talked to Tim Brando, Tony Barnhart, and Jim Dunaway about this for a story, shameless plug, that I did an SDS. Basically, like, what was it like to cover Pat Dye? And the interesting thing is that you had so much access to Auburn because they were treated like the redheaded stepchild. And one of the things that, that Pat Dye recognized right away, the thing that he was gonna have to do differently than Bear Bryant was that he was gonna have to have a relatively open door policy. Even 10 years into his time at Auburn, he's still doing all these one-on-one TV interviews after his weekly press conferences on Tuesday, which is unheard of. Nobody does that, where he's doing seven, eight, nine TV spots, one-on-one TV spots after his weekly press conference. When he's getting investigated by the NCAA for Eric Ramsey, they still like, hey, yeah, I'm the athletic director, I'm the coach, I'll I'll speak on this. I'm not going to give you a no comment, a boring thing. He, yeah. he told it how it was, and whether you agreed with everything he had to say or not, we came to sort of appreciate who he was and how open and transparent he was as a person and auburn fans obviously appreciate what he did on the field and winning four sec championships in an eight-year stretch was a big deal for a program that had one sec championship before he arrived the fact that he won six of eight iron rolls all those different things ingratiated him to the auburn faithful and part of the reason that they named the field after him in 2005 even though he left under very odd circumstances of course with the ncaa investigation but It was fascinating getting to talk to those guys who have covered him. And I, like I I said, like first line of story is like, uh, yeah, when he stopped coaching at Auburn, I was two years old. Uh, No memories of, of Pat Dye growing up, but it was great to be able to catch up with those guys and understand that he was different and he was a very, very unique person to consume. And he was just what Auburn needed at the time.
1: Without a doubt. And so I am not too young Uh, to remember. Uh, Pat Dye, I remember the first full season of football I watched was 92 and I was because I was six and I remember watching like every single one of those Bama games and it was a great season for him but I remember Pat Dye on the sideline Um, in the same way I I was at the last Iron Bowl ever played in Legion Field in 1998. That was my first Iron Bowl. That's the one I told you about where we we bought season tickets for the whole season just for that game and so we, we the week of the game we get this this you know, printout of like, here's your tickets for BYU and the opener, and this one, and this one's like these, trash. Yeah, these babies are all they've already been played. And we go, we just go to the Iron Bowl. And I remember, I remember Gabe Gross was the quarterback at Auburn, and I just kept screaming I was like, "You're going down, Gabe," because it's like a chain link fence that you get. Like anybody, there's, you know, talk about the access. Like there's access for everyone. It seemed like like that was like a <laughs> tunnel they came out of. It's a chain link fence. Anyway, um, you know, Pat Dye. It was I didn't know as much about Pat Dye, and I'll, I'll just be honest from a positive standpoint because. I grew up in a household that was all Alabama fans, and Pat Dye, you know, like, if it listen, if if Pat Dye, it's probably the same way I am with Tommy Tuberville, like, I mean, he won six of eight Iron Bowls, he beat Bear Bryant in his last Iron Bowl, he he did so in, you know, like, in a very fearless manner, in a very overconfident way, where I think, I've said this a lot with Bama fans, their biggest issue with Auburn is that it's like Auburn fans don't understand any of the insults, Bama fans started I'm like you. You're not any good. Like yeah, but we did our best, huh? Like what a fun <laughs> season. Like they're just they're just good fans, good people, and 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 so they really kind of embraced them because you could you could even hear it in this broadcast right beforehand. They're talking about it, and it's like you know I think Bear Bryant seems almost more concerned with uh, Pat Dye than he does his own team because he's worried like there's no nobody else that knows him as well as Pat Dye, and Pat Dye coached under Bear Bryant for years and all that kind of stuff. So it was really interesting to see, you know, I think how. Bear Bryant kind of uh, thought of him or treated him and was, and was concerned with him, even though it was in year two and they weren't that great of a team yet. But to see what he was able to do in that quick of a time and have that turnaround around Auburn is really incredible. And, and people also forget that 83 team should have won a national championship.
0: This is true. People definitely do forget that. But uh, yeah, that team with with Bo, it was right there. And maybe this is kind of the the springboard to it, but uh, Pat Dye became somebody who was just appreciated a, a lot by by mm-hmm. Auburn fans. One other story that I want to get to real quick with him uh, that Jim Dunaway told, and it was uh, dating back to when he was just a uh, was covering his first college football game ever. And if you know if you know the name Jim Donaway, you know obviously huge in in the Southeast radio in general. He's been around for a yeah. while at this point, but you know he is. Covering his first ever college football game, and he oh, wow. is you know there in 1988. It's so it's 1988. The the season opener. They're playing against Kentucky. Kentucky's a ranked team, and um, so he shows up at Auburn and uh, makes the two hour drive. Shows up three and a half hours early. It's so early that nobody else is there in the press box. Like he's just he's there by himself. I mean, like there's he is the media member in there, and so. He gets there, and uh, Auburn SID, who is uh, a legend, just an absolute legend, David Housel, he shows him, he's like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. Like, you're going to be covering the team, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I'll take you down to the locker room. I'll show you where to go, all these different things. So he takes him down to the locker room, and don't you know it, Pat Dye's just sitting there in the coach's office three and a half hours before the game, before the season opener game, and he's like, oh, hey, nice to meet you, man, like shakes his hand and everything like... Picture going into an SEC coach's office now, down to his office, and being like a, right. a, a you know, twenty-two-year-old media member, and be like, "Oh, hey, coach, like, how's it going?" So after the game, he's, you know, he goes to the the trailer where they have all the post-game media availability and stuff, and it's right next to the locker room at Auburn. Right. And so there's like a horde of reporters who are asking questions and stuff like that. And he's just like kneeling kind of beside him and he's a little bit scared. And he like he's trying to ask a question, trying to ask a question. If you've ever been in those situations in a press conference, sometimes you yeah. just Yeah, you know, especially. When you just like can't quite get that question out. And so Pat Tye recognizes that he wants to ask a question and he turns to him. He stops everybody, he turns to him, he's like, Young man, you want to ask me a question? Go ahead. And he freezes. And he just oh, totally no. freezes. He's like, Oh, I got nothing. And then Pat Ty like, That's all right. If you think of what it is, just tap me on the leg and you can ask it. He's like, I never <laughs> remembered what it was, but it was great. And so like he yeah. would do things like that, and that's the type of person that that he was to media. And like you're if you're in that position at Auburn, you're recognizing like yeah, it's probably a good idea to get on the good side of the media and you yeah. and you can't act like a Bear Bryant. You can't be that type of guy because otherwise you're gonna turn everybody away and the second you start losing, man, it's gonna it's it doesn't work for everybody to act like that. And that's not who Pat Dye was and he stayed true right. to himself.
1: It's it really is and I will say this and I'd like to expound upon like, you know, I didn't grow up hearing a lot of good stories about Pat Dye in the same way that I didn't hear a lot of great stories about Bo Jackson, like they just cause, you know, they were on the losing end of that, but it did not take long for me to Make my own opinions of like both of these guys were were obviously pretty like Bo Jackson especially obviously like a, a fantastic uh, talent but Pat Dye man it, it's it's funny because you bring up like how open they were and how it was like the anti Bear Bryant one I think it's it's cool to rewatch some of these games because you you forget like almost just how much of like the southern hospitality southern manners and like the, the like what was considered to be like a gentleman at the time like like I mean even Bryant like having like take his hat off when he would go into like they had to play a game indoors and was like what Okay. Sure. He did that? Really? He did that. He did that. Like When they played New Orleans in the Sugar he Bowl, the sugar he, would, bowl he, yeah. wouldn't, he wouldn't wear his hat because he was indoors. Oh, but I remember hearing stories about, like, you know, like, I think in 77, maybe he was in Athens, my dad was um, got into the game uh, against Georgia by uh, like, carrying his equipment from uh, Sports Illustrated. He was carrying his camera equipment. And I remember him saying, like, he looked looked over and, and just, like, stopped and dead in his tracks as he sees Bear Bryant, leaned up against the goalpost like he always was, this, like, iconic figure, this iconic, you know, pregame ritual and I think what, what Bo Jackson said in his, that 30 for 30 doc about him and how people would come over and be like, Bear Bryant called you on that phone. That phone. It's, it's kind of cool and all that kind of stuff because it's Bear Bryant, blah, blah, and sure. But it's really awesome to see how much of a, uh, like a, just a trailblazer, I think, that Pat Dye really was mm-hmm. in comparison to that. Because up until this point, and you're talking about in the same state and somebody that coached under him, you would think... Yeah, this is I gotta emulate every single thing he's doing. And you yeah. watch him not do that, it was it was pretty cool.
0: The relationship that he had with Bear Bryant, um, Bear Bryant when he first got the job, when Pat Dye first gets the job at Auburn, Bear Bryant, you know, sort of famously goes, Oh, I bet you wanna move the Iron Bowl out of Birmingham and you wanna move it to uh, to Auburn and Bear Bryant's like, you know, as long as I'm around, I'm gonna do whatever I can not to make that happen and the story goes, yeah. like Pat Dye was like, Well, you're not gonna be around forever. And then, sure enough, like Yikes. he waited in due time, you know, to to make that happen. But, you know, you, you see everybody that that are coming out with all these great things to say about Pat Dye, and and one thing that Tony Barnhart and Tim Brando both said was his, his greatest legacy was being able to bring the Iron Bowl to Jordan Hare and being yeah. able to. To, to change that rivalry forever. I mean, think about some of the best moments of that rivalry in the last oh 30 gosh. years. I know you want to do it. I know you really want to do it. But, you know, he, he definitely changed that rivalry. And, you know, that, that win in 1989, as Tony Barnhart has told us on this podcast, the most emotional football game he has ever been to was yeah. being able to see that Auburn team beat Alabama well, that day.
1: And it's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Bama fan, For as all of you guys know, and I, and I get all that. But it is it is cool and like this fan base more than almost any other one. It's just like, you know, like I said, like listen, I've I've heard a lot of insults at the in the direction of Auburn fans through my through my years and stuff like that. And it's always funny to me. They're sort of like, yeah, okay, what I mean, whatever. Like eight and four, <laughs> that was a great. year. Wait till next year, man. Next year's gonna be awesome. And I, I think that when you talk about a fan base, there's maybe none more that and I hate to say it because I've joked around about this at their expense in the past. But like there really isn't more of a family feeling or family, a closer knit group of like alumni fans and all that kind of stuff than at Auburn. And, and that whole thing, like Chiswick was really big into, into, you know, tapping into this about like, we're family, we're all in and people really believe in that. And like, you know, they have the yeah. whole Auburn creed and, you know, again, I've, I've made jokes at that expense, but they really do, no matter what you say about Auburn fans, they do believe in that and they do believe like in, in that kind of like family uh, mentality and, and the stuff with, it is, it is cool they've been able to have those experiences with 89 and obviously, you know, the kick six and all those great times. Yeah, there we go.
0: Pretty amazing, too, that that, that Chiswick and Pat Dye both uh, made their homes in Auburn. I mean, yeah. for coaches who left under circumstances where, you know, they had – People that, that really wanted them gone and and left. I mean, you know, obviously they left under very different circumstances. One more off the field than on the field, but yeah, uh, that that says a lot about Auburn and the people there for sure. Bear Bryant, uh, it's I'll it's take re- this one, Connor. <laughs> it's uh, weird to watch this back, man. It's weird yeah. to watch this back. Last Iron Bowl that he's that he's a coach in last regular season game that he ever coaches. Uh, he dies of a heart attack just two months after this game is played, and it's. Watching him in this game, you're kind of looking at him. You're like, wait a minute. Saban is going to be 69. Nice. Um, At his next Iron Bowl. The next Iron Bowl that he plays, and that's the age, of course, that Bear Bryant died. And they look, obviously, like, very, very different. And we talk about them in, in such a different way. Now, obviously, like... Nobody's saying that's, that Saban is slowing down. I know Chris Lowe. I'm pretty sure Chris Lowe's been on vacation last week or so. But yeah. probably when he comes back from vacation, we're going to have a story about how Saban's still feeling like he's got another 10, 15 years and he's not slowing down anytime soon. Right. But it is kind of amazing to look to look back and realize, oh, man, like Bear Bryant is looking very, very different on the sideline in the way that he just kind of presents himself. And I don't know if that's because it's juxtaposed – to pat Dye, who looks like he has all the energy in the world Mm -hmm. but it's a very different way to see somebody who is on any mount rushmore of all-time great college football coaches
1: yeah it was interesting i mean i think people obviously didn't take care of themselves the same way they do now um you know this is like i always joke around with this like people back then it's like well i gotta get strong so i had a bunch of milk today like oh okay good you nailed it like that's that's exactly what muscles need to wait that's not that's not it no, that's not it. Connor, I've been telling you this for months. And oh, I just gosh. And don't start on chocolate milk either. But anyway, um, but no, like, so I, my knee jerk reaction was to be like, don't even start with the 69, him being the same age as Saban, all that kind of stuff. Because it's totally um, different. It's the same. I, I saw when they announced it, it was like, he was 69 years old. I thought he must have been in his 80s. I thought it was like a Bobby Bowden type situation yeah. where, um, and which is weird because, like, I have know enough about Bear Bryant that I should have known different. But, like, it, he looks. Haggard, almost, is is the best way to put it. Like, he looks... Is that a word? That's a word, right? Yeah, Haggard. Um, Okay. Okay. Because, I mean, I was just saying it like Merle Haggard, because I went to that concert that one time, and they all looked really bad. But anyway, he he looked just, I mean, bad. Like, the way he was talking, he, he didn't... He looked like he was not able to... Like express his thoughts as clearly, and he was kind of slurring his words, and he did not seem like somebody you really wanted to be around. So we talked about the halftime interview that we'll talk about oh, later. we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but he, he just, you know, it was, it was one of those things too where um, he was the on his way out, obviously, and he was like, like as you have in here, the goat coach of the of the 20th century, but uh, or the 20, wow, well, the 20th century. But he, he obviously was at the end of the line, and it was, I think, people. No matter what, I think in this situation, this wasn't a surprise to anyone but him. I think he honestly thought he could still go.
0: Yeah, and we'll have more on that subject as well because it was brought up on the broadcast in a very interesting light. But at this point, despite the fact that he has those struggles in 1982, he still is a coach whose legacy was safe, no matter what. Even if he had decided at the end of the year to to retire, no matter what, even no matter, you know, lose win or lose this game, it was all safe. The six national titles, 12 SEC titles, 22 top 10 finishes. Yep. 22, 13 top five finishes. That is pretty darn and good. I don't care what area you're coaching in. That is really, really impressive.
1: It's And so and this is one of the things I want, like, I, I think that, is the biggest storyline outside of the actual game, and we can save it for the actual story arc. Or, but like just the difference of what was going on between at each program under yeah. like like th- those are his overall numbers, not just what he did at Bama. Well, the, I mean the six national titles that was all at Bama. But you're talking about this was his twenty-fifth season. That's well, no, because
0: the the national title that he had at Kentucky.
1: Oh, well, he had six national titles at Bama.
0: I know, but the, he gets credit for the national title that he had at, Ken- at, at Kentucky, though, doesn't he? Oh no, because that wasn't. That's right. That Don't wasn't. Start with me. We that um, that was part of our discussion with the egregious yeah. national titles, and that was the one that's that's not recognized by the NCAA. And never mind, sorry, right. I, I confused okay. myself. Okay,
1: regardless, if we're going to tarnish his reputation right now, we're going to have a real problem. <laughs> but the twenty-four, the twenty-four years he had at Bama leading up to this, he had again nineteen top ten finishes of the twenty-four, um, and then he had twelve of the. Uh, I'm sorry. He yeah, finished in the top five, 12 of the 19 seasons as well, or 24 seasons as well. It's just like the numbers were incredible. Obviously, the national championships are one thing, but like they only went, they only finished the season unranked twice in the previous 24 years. So, well, I'll save the rest of it for just to show you like the, you know.
0: Yeah, there's, there's more we'll get to with Bear for sure. Yep. The A-listers. Uh, let's start with Bo. Let's start with the guy who had an entire game named after him uh, by the time he stepped off the field that day. Uh, the old story that everybody knows, Pat Dye famously told Bo that he'd have a chance to play immediately. Alabama was like, ah, you might start by the time you're a junior. Um, he, of who course... Was
1: that? I, I tried to find out that guy's name because I still hate him.
0: <sighs> who was it? Because it wasn't Bear who said that. But it was obviously like, if he's, he's kind of responsible for all that, though, I don't think it was... It wasn't him. Like, it wasn't Bear who walked into Bo's living no. room that day and, and said those words, but... You know, Pat Dye knew how to play it and knew that this kid was special. They even said during the game that they that Pat Dye was under the impression that he was the second best player I think in all of college football behind Herschel already yeah. at that point as as a true freshman in '82, of course. Uh, everybody knows what happened in his career wins the Heisman SEC legend um, arguably the best athlete of the 20th century um, all around
1: I mean if you have oh, yeah, without to, doubt there's there's no conversation if you're of saying Jim Thorpe please exit the conversation right away no, no it's Bo
0: Jackson it's Bo Jackson for sure I'm, I'm always bummed that I I never really got to experience Bo and I've watched the 30 for 30 probably half a dozen times I've yeah. watched YouTube clips I've seen I, I've I've seen a lot of Bo Jackson footage in my time, but I'm always bummed that I could have never experienced that phenomenon. And why, as Chuck Klosterman always would say, Bo came at the perfect time. He came at a time where we weren't, because if he comes 10 years later, we have this sort of skepticism about him, whether or not he's using steroids and all that stuff. And he came at this time where it was still like, you know, he's not on national TV every week. So he could do these things that were sort of impressive because, People would hear about them and much like Herschel, we talked about that. Like you just you need to see it to believe it, and yeah. then you'll see him do something that's just unbelievable and you'll be like, Alright, yeah, Bo Jackson, I'm I'm buying into the hype.
1: Yeah, it's I don't think I've ever even told you this story or um, I know I haven't said it on the podcast, but I met him once when I was like nine at SEC fanfare. I don't remember that. And I don't I don't
0: think you've ever said that on this podcast.
1: Because, of course, in typical Marlar fashion I had like one of the most awkward moments imaginable. Do you give him like, the finger guns? No, no, I didn't do that, thank God. That's just for Calvin Ridley. But he was, like, running by, and it's, like, this thing where he's just going to give everyone high fives or whatever. He's, like, slowly walking by. And I, like, latched onto his hand, and and he, like, looked at me, like, and I don't know if he thought that I was, like, sick or something. He was, like, I need this. But he, like, he's, like, was everything all right? Like, like stared at me, and I, and I looked at him, and I said, y- you you went to Auburn, but you're all right with me. <laughs> and then and gave him a high five and he just and I was like nine and he like just looked at me and he's like okay and then just <laughs> kept going and I was like nailed it Chris by the time I really did think I did nail it I was like dragging my my, my family by there like cool that's good job Chris you nailed that one if
0: you could have one interaction with Bo now what would it be
1: <laughs> hey hey Bo <Beau>, it's <laughs> wow do you I bet you know right and then probably awkward shake my head and walk away I, I'm sure I'm sure that it would still be awkward um but no he's I mean he's obviously the best athlete I would say like I would say 20th century because I feel like LeBron is just a crazy because of his size surely because of his size but the, remember the, the the doc and I feel like I I don't know if this was even said in jest or not but when they were like yeah you know like the workout for the day is like he would go out and kill a deer and then just put the deer over his back and and like run home and I was like oh I think that actually might be a thing like this is is that real? Is that a real life example?
0: I mean, the definition of country strong. Yeah. In every yeah. way, shape, or form. Yeah. The doc is great. Where he's telling stories about throwing crab apples through people's windows and stuff like that, and yeah. hitting kids in the neighborhood after they, you know, they'd run through the house thinking that they had escaped him. Like, dude was just he was on a, a different level. And I always thought that the name itself. It's just such a marketable, great name. Oh yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, think about how much different we'd be talking about him if it was Vincent Jackson instead of Bo yeah. Jackson. There, there was a Vincent Jackson in the NFL. And did yeah, I mean, True. obviously, it was. It's also interesting
1: but... to see like, like the story about him. Like his baseball stuff was almost more impressive than the football stuff. And I and, and, I and, and the doc, to say that, they talk
0: about the baseball more than the football.
1: And I think that's at especially because like yeah, at least I mean like the the ball yeah. he hit out at Auburn, and if anyone's ever been to that stadium where it's like over the right. Yeah. Center field, like, I mean, to go opposite field on that in general is ridiculous. It's like, to hit a home run opposite field, but then the fact that, like, you know, he was like, he was trying to hit, like, I think it was like a Yankee scout when he was in high school and he knocks down the entire batting cage and, yep. and all this other stuff. Like, he was just, and, and what's funny about it too is that he didn't work out. Like, that was, it was like Griffey, but like, somehow he had all the muscles still. It's like, oh, okay, good for you.
0: Yeah, like when they would try and get him to do stuff in practice, he'd be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to run wind sprints and kill myself because that's how I'm going to hurt myself, and I'd rather just be fresh for the game. So, no, don't worry about that. Special, special player. Uh, Lionel James, the Auburn running back who shared a backfield with Bo. incredibly fast, super, super fun to watch. Forgot about this. Uh, Not forgot, I just didn't know this. Entering the Iron Bowl, this Iron Bowl, he had more rushing yards on fewer attempts than Bo. He actually had 717 rushing yards on 99 attempts, whereas Bo had coming into this game 715 rushing yards on 110 attempts. He was more of the pass catching back, and you watch him and you're like, man, you are way ahead of your time. He if yeah. he had come around like twenty years later or something like that, he would have been thought of in a, a very different way and he would have been used so much better for Auburn. And not that he wasn't, you know, used in, in good spots, but I just felt like watching this, you're like, wait a minute. This guy can catch passes out of the backfield. He is lightning quick. If they would just get him out wide and get him outside of the tackle, he he would be so fun to watch in space. Instead, you know, he's running out of the wishbone and they're facing all these like ten men boxes and stuff like that, and it's like Dude probably has nowhere to go, but he still looked impressive.
1: I thought. I, I, yeah. I mean, like, I don't remember him as much in this game to be honest. But um, I, it still blows my mind that, like, you saw this at the beginning of like the broadcast where they're going over like the, um, the positions, and you see like the offensive lineman and like that whole thing. Like, there's not an ounce of fat on. Him. I'm like, yeah, because he weighs 240 pounds. Yeah, that's why. I mean, like, okay, sure. Um, but like, there's so many positions that were played during this time that were just unnecessary to the game of football. <laughs> like, it's just like, like, if you were a tight end in 1982, why? Why did you choose that for yourself? Because it's like, you're you're not going to do much. I mean, it, like, the, even, even Bama in this one, in this game, like, they weren't like a, a pass-first team, or they, they, they didn't want to identify that as that at all, even though they had almost as many passing yards as uh, rushing yards, like, through three quarters. It, it, anyway, it just blows my mind.
0: Other impressive thing, though, about Lionel James, while I do think he was ahead of his time, gets to the NFL in year two in the NFL. He sets the NFL record for all-purpose yards in a season with 2,535. Uh, he also, by the way, had over 1,000 receiving yards as a running back in 1985. He set the record for receiving yards by a running back. Amazing to think about this team, and this is something that I think it was I, th- I think Tony brought this up. You look back on this this team at Auburn, and including uh, Tommy Agee, they had three running backs that were drafted on that team. And Brent Fulwood got there the next year, and he was also a first round running back who finished sixth in the Heisman voting in 1986. Like they were loaded with backfield talent. So the fact that Bo actually was able to play in this backfield when I mean it was really, really I mean really crowded, and I understand like it's, but at the same time. We've talked about this before with the Herschel thing and how new it was for freshmen to be able to play. Right. The fact that Pat Dye was able to go into his living room and, and say, yes, like you're going to be able to play with this much talent still there and then to live up to that is an amazing thing in itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that, um, I guess. It's Auburn running backs, man. It's just, that has never it's just never changed. It, it's like you know, we always never. talk about Georgia. Georgia always has – I know they had Michelle and Gurley and uh, Chubb at the same time, but like – like, Auburn, it seems like it's not just one dude. Apparently they always have, like, two, three guys in this, like, a stable of backs. But, yeah, that, that was, I guess that was also impressive. I did not, he was not at the top of my list for, what do you call it, the A-listers. There's,
0: there's a couple others. Uh, two other Alabama guys, Mike Pitts, Alabama defensive end, who was an All-American first-round pick, had a really nice 12-year career in the NFL, and he was just kind of the guy who was making plays all over the field, blowing up, it, it seemed like if, if, if Bo or, or Lionel James was getting stopped at, at the line of scrimmage or in the backfield, it was Mike Pitts doing the damage. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah, is it Castile? Castile. 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 You're killing me. Castile, right? Yep, Jeremiah Castile. I heard it on the broadcast several times, and I was still like, wait, it sounds like they're saying Castile, but they're not. They're not.
1: Castillo. No, Castile.
0: Castile. Yeah. Castile. Interception machine, set a program record with 16 interceptions in his career. He had three interceptions in the Liberty Bowl alone. And in this game, it looks like he had the massive interception on that Auburn drive that, of course, led to Bow over the top. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, even watching the replay back, and you might disagree with this, it was indeed pass interference, which they called on the field. And replay showed that he beat the receiver to the spot. You could say he's going for the ball. I get that.
1: I just, I just, I don't know why we make that call on that spot. I'll just say it. I just am surprised they made the call mm. on that spot um, for a lot of reasons, and the, most of that is coming from from Bama privilege. I'll just be honest. At this time, it just is very surprising to me they made that call uh, after beating him nine years in a row. But I mean, yeah, you're right. He beat him. He beat him there for sure. Um, I have Castile as well as as my a lister because um, Castile. And if you don't know. Bama football, I guess then it makes sense. You might not know who he is. But he, um, one of the most important people in Bear Bryant's 25 years, one of the most important players he ever had. Uh, obviously led the team, or led. there's a career leader in interceptions with 16, had the three in the Liberty Bowl. Also had a huge hit in the Liberty Bowl towards the end that, that stopped him. And th- that was Bear Bryant's last game, so that's one of the reasons it's um, such a huge deal. And I think that highlight is, is still in, like, the whole montage of one of the pregame videos they show before the um, before they kick off every Saturday. Um more importantly, uh, or actually not more importantly, but he also had two sons play at Bama, Tim and Simeon. Um, both of them played, and he was, I, I don't know if he still is, but he was the uh, team chaplain uh, for years and years and years. Like, within the I past decade, he was, he was the team chaplain as well. I, I'm not sure if he still is um, to this day, but it, a very important figure all around Alabama, not just from this time, but also, you know, throughout uh, current like times as well. But the bigger, the most important thing I think you say about him and how important he was as a... Player is not only did he was he an All American this year because um, you know Mike Pitts was too and so was Tommy Wilcox but he was one of the pallbearers at Bear Bryant's, at Bear Bryant's uh, funeral, funeral yeah. which is also a pretty incredible thing. I can't imagine that was an easy
0: list to make. Think about that. Think about the amount yeah. of people that he has had an impact on and to be like oh now we have to pick because I assume and I don't I assume that the majority of those were given to former players that seems like it would be a a
1: worthy role and how do you pick after that long of a career coaching i have no idea um i did have one more that i was really surprised you didn't have on here walter lewis okay I have
0: Walter Lewis in something in something later, but let's talk about him now because you have a very interesting backstory as to why you had a very different impression of Walter Lewis for a long period of time.
1: Yes. And so anybody that knows me, we've we've kind of talked about it, and we're not gonna get in depth to it, but um like so like my relationship to Alabama football is obviously close-knit with my dad growing up, even though that relationship with my dad is not close-knit anymore. And and that's fine. There's no reason to get weird about that. But it's funny in this specific instance because I still remember all these stories. And I remember hearing about these guys from, these were like my bedtime stories growing up. It was just like, you know, and then, you know, Auburn cheated to get Bo Jackson. That's the only <laughs> reason. No, I'm kidding, he didn't say that. But um, the Walter Lewis thing was always kind of odd because I was like, oh, wow. So he was Alabama's first black quarterback. Um, I, I believe that's that, that was the case. And he was the quarterback at the end of Bear Bryant's, um, you know, like final, final games, like his last seasons or whatever. Um, and by all means, like, a pretty good player. Not like somebody that's, like, gone down in, in Bama lore or anything like that, but was there for some some good teams and all that kind of stuff. And my dad hated Walter Lewis. Hated. So I went through most of my life thinking he was terrible. He was pretty good. This game especially. Good. He was a pretty good quarterback. Um, but I hated Walter Lewis because of that, uh, or because of this specific instance. And I, I didn't know why my dad didn't like him. I, I didn't. I had no idea. And then I found out my dad won the state punt, pass, and kick championship for the state of Georgia when he was six years old uh, in 1966. He lost the Southeast Regional punt, pass, and kick championship. I think he finished second. And he lost it to a uh, young African-American kid named Walter Lewis. And Walter Lewis ended up going to – I mean, he didn't win a national championship. And my dad – I mean, he was – my dad hated him from the get-go. Just was very upset about Walter Lewis. But I I thought he was one of the – definitely one of the A-listers in this game. I just
0: didn't I didn't have him in this specific category just because I didn't feel like, well, if, if you're an A-lister in this game, you're probably not getting rotated out for quarterback. Which that was, was weird. We'll, we'll get to that as well. Uh, breakout performers. Um, not sure that this guy totally fits the description. Again, these are hard to be able to come up with when you yeah. don't have ga- the game-by-game things to physically like break some of this stuff down. But at least this season, Randy Campbell, the Auburn quarterback, who wasn't on the team the previous year. Um, and was a split end uh, originally, but then they bring uh, new offensive staff together and all that stuff. And uh, Frank Broyles said on the broadcast that he earned the starting job because he didn't make mistakes, which I think that's a fair point to to make, and you kind of get that sense watching him. Only had two interceptions and 145 attempts. Had the huge touchdown out of the wishbone to take the lead in the second quarter, which it looked like he made a really, really good read on that play. But what I always wanted to know... (laughs) And he's, Randy Campbell is super, super guilty of this as well. And I think Walter Lewis is too. Um, who taught quarterbacks to drop back like that? Oh my God. With the shoulder squared to the wrong side of the field. Because, okay, so if, if, I get it if, if you're doing like a bootleg or something like that, but it was like every single time when they returned yep. their shoulders to the opposite way. And we've seen this too with watching, you know, the game from 1980 with, with Herschel and George Rogers. But you, you watch this happen and you're like, you're either going to be making a throw on the run so it's not going to have very much behind it or if you're going to turn your shoulders then the opposite way it's going to be really hard to get that timing down and that's going to be very slow and deliberate i mean no wonder nobody could compete could complete 65 percent of their passes back then because they're throwing the ball like I have no idea, like who was the guru that decided this is the way that it's going to happen. Because then, when he finally dropped back in the in the sense that we're used to in the twenty first century, he completes that third and fourteen rocket to Mike Edwards, and yeah. it looked it was easily his best pass of the day, and it's what kept that drive going late. And you're like, huh? You know, maybe they should do that a little bit more often.
1: It it blows my mind. Like we look at the mechanics of of. of I mean, split ends were still had their hand on the ground during this as well. I loved like, it. I was just going to bring so that up ridiculous. too. Ridiculous, <laughs> but like, but would you look at the mechanics of, and pretty much all football players too, but but especially quarterbacks, because the uh, the other side of it is if you were a pass first offense, so you talk about like Elway and, and Marino at this time, especially Elway, it was dropping directly back. Yep. Like, just begging to fall and trip over your own feet. It just, I mean, on your heels the entire time. It makes no sense to me. And, and almost every big throw they had, they they rolled them out across their body or they were their drop back was, like you said, like with their left shoulder back and then having to turn around. I just, I don't get it. I don't I, get it at all.
0: I want to meet the person who decided, you know what? If we have quarterbacks that just drop back with their shoulders squared to, you know, if they're a righty to the right side of the field, and if they just keep their head forward – they can still see everything, and they can still be in a position to make a throw. And if they need to make a throw to the opposite to one side of the field, they don't need to turn their entire body. Oh my gosh! It's impacted the thing so too, many times in this game.
1: It's. I, I want to assume that obviously football coaches at the time, then and now, know way more than I do about the game of football. Sure, For sure. But if they are, we don't say it like that, Connor. But if they are, <laughs> if they're dropping back like that, it's. Are they holding the linebackers, or is it, like, some sort of, like, is, like, the blocking scheme going away from them and people are falling for it? I don't know, but it doesn't seem to make any sense. And, and honestly, I feel like I'm giving them too much credit because that's not what was happening in this no. case. And it also, if, if somebody is, like, like you just said, like that example, like, who was the first person to be like, hey, this this might not be the best way. We can do better. How did it take roughly, I don't know, 50 years minimum for somebody to be like, you know what, I got a better idea. I just... Anyway,
0: you're gonna it's get me like fired Pitchers off.
1: used to like do this whole thing where they like wave yeah. their arms back and right. forth, to, like do their wind up, like, oh, Scuffy McGee with the screwball. It's
0: like we, we could see what you're, what you're gripping right now. This is not yeah. working too well. Um, yeah, I'm gonna get fired off talking about old quarterbacks again. We don't need that to happen. No, um, Joey Jones, the Alabama split end receiver. He's receiver. Yeah, uh, lining up in that great three point stance. Several key moments of this game. Five, nine bucks, sixty five. What what? Great, very generous. Gosh, soaking wet. Buck sixty-five. Yeah. Uh, Again, was more of a breakout star this year. He had the the first score of the game when he has that like toe dragging play, catching the ball in the back of the end zone. I was like there's no way that he caught that and stayed in bounds. There's absolutely no so way. So the announcers <laughs> Yeah, they're like, eh, "I don't know about that." And then He's they show the replay. Bounds. Then they show the replay and you're like, "Holy crap, he actually got his foot down." Yeah. Incredible call, incredible catch to be able to to make that play. And it also had the key block on the on the run that gave Alabama the the 19 to 14 lead as well. I loved hearing on the broadcast He's the only guy in this game who averages two catches per game.
1: That says it all right there. I yeah. So he was he was in like a couple of these guys. I remember having like these posters that I got from we'd go to games and they like, be like, We're remembering the whole such a like such and such team. Like here's he's the best linebackers of all time. So Tommy Wilcox made that, and Mike Pitts, even though they're on the D line, they they made like two of those posters that they handed out free at the games. Um Joey Jones was like a Notorious, like he—he he was the most famous, one of the most famous receivers that Bam had ever had. Because yeah. I think he left his career with like third all time, yeah, in, third, and in like in—I don't know if it was yards or touchdowns, but whatever. And he was all SEC, but I think this season he averaged 20 yards per catch.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they kept saying that. They're like, well, when you run the wishbone, you're going to be able to take more chances downfield. Frank Broyles kept saying that. He had another line on the broadcast where he says. Look how much space there is with two guys wide. <laughs> it was it, like it, hey, he's wide open, go down the middle of the field. So you mean to tell me that if you split guys out wide in a formation, you don't
1: just—it's—it's <laughs> <laughs> mind blowing to can't. me to think that like this was like like the, the cutting edge of, of sports and like offensive philosophy because like, we, I mean obviously because we know what offenses are today, but at the same time they had just that whole three yards of a cloud of dust. That's how everyone ran the offense yep. and, and every single when I first saw that stat, I was like, n- no part of me thought. Wow, he was like Calvin Johnson. It was like, no, these are all busted plays. And the defense was like, they're throwing the ball? What?
0: <laughs> uh, fun fact about Joey Jones, as, as many people remember, uh, became a fast, fantastic high school coach in the state of Alabama. That's kind of what led to him getting the South Alabama job as well. If you recall, when Mississippi State lost the opener in 2016, mm-hmm. that was Joey Jones as the head coach of Mississippi State then hired him in 2018. had hired him on his staff to be the special teams coach. Uh, Prominent extras. Uh, So speaking of receivers who aren't involved enough, Chris Woods, the Auburn receiver, who was a first-round pick in the supplemental draft in 1984. He was Auburn's leading receiver from 1981 through 1983, every single year. But he's the prominent extra because of Auburn's wishbone offense. And they got creative... When they by by running the eye formation, that was like they're mixing things up, and that's what they wanted to do in this game specifically. Um, Only guy on the team who finished the year with more than twenty catches, and he had twenty one.
1: Yeah, I I just I'm I'm looking at like Bama's right now, and it's like it's the same with Auburn. They they go over the if you go over the eighty two go go Google nineteen eighty two Auburn football roster or Alabama football roster, and. I'm looking at Bama's right now and it has 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 12 running backs on the team. It's 12. Decent. That's a that seems like too much. Um but yeah, it's it's just it, Joey Jones and Jesse Bindros, who also played in the NFL, I guess, had both of them 25 receptions for almost 500 yards. You you would just think that you know, that those those play you would just throw the ball more. I don't One would think. One would
0: think Uh, Chris Woods ran for mayor of Birmingham in 2017, but he lost, unfortunately. Okay. Sorry to say. Uh, Jay Jacobs, Auburn offensive lineman, who's not mentioned in this game. Yes, that's the same Jay Jacobs who eventually became the athletic director at Auburn, the guy who hired Gene Chizik, the guy who hired Gus Malzahn. Did that until 2018, of course. Um, He was a walk-on offensive lineman at the time, but he actually ended up being a pretty good player, which I admit I kind of forgot that. Kind of forgot that, but he was on that team. Uh, Sylvester Kroom. Now, the Alabama, at the time, he was the Alabama outside linebackers coach. So, a little peel behind the onion here. Our intent for today was originally to do the three to two game. Yeah. Which uh, many people remember Auburn and Mississippi State. Uh, Sylvester Kroom was the head coach at Mississippi State. Thought it'd be a good time to be able to do that. Talk about Sylvester Croom because he was the first black coach in SEC football history. So little did I know that you know we were gonna we decided we we looked on on YouTube for for a while and couldn't find couldn't find that game and then couldn't find any of, of Mississippi State's signature wins. Now I could find like three or four different times when they lost to LSU like forty five to nothing, but I didn't think that would be the best game to do for Sylvester Croom. Um, so little did I know that when we decided to go in this direction for you know the late Pat Dye, that oh yeah that's right Sylvester Croom was coaching in this game on a me- as you know a member of Bear Bryant's staff as well. So kind of two birds with one stone to be able to give us an excuse to talk about Sylvester Croom. Sylvester Kroom, given the light of you know recent current events in our country, right. you know thought it'd be appropriate time to to talk about him. Just an amazing amazing thing to look back on the fact that he. You know, became the first black head coach in the SEC in 2004 when he took the Mississippi State job. And, you know, he spent a decade at Alabama, over a decade at Alabama, and then 17 years as an NFL assistant before finally getting that opportunity. He's only 28 in this game. And by the time, and that's just like as an assistant for for Bear Bryant. And he didn't get his first SEC head coaching opportunity until he was 49 years old. And... Originally, you know, he wasn't going to take the Mississippi State job when he was offered, and he was like, you know, I, I don't really know if I want to do this. I've been, you know, the first uh, to to kind of, you know, to represent black, you know, black people. I've been the first to do things in the past, but he said he was talking to his friend Milt, um, who's unfortunately no longer with us, and his friend Milt's like, you got to take the job, and he's right. like, why? Like, why do I-, I don't have to do anything? Like, why why do I have to? He's like, well, you know, if you don't. We could be going another thirty thirty to forty years without having a black head coach in the SEC. And then he thought about that and he said, you know what, it's my responsibility to to open the doors and and that's what he did. Think about guys like Joker Phillips and Derek Mason and James Franklin and, and people that he helped pave the way for so that we aren't talking about still there not being any black head coaches in the SEC. Sylvester Kroon was somebody who meant a lot to this conference and if you have if you have the chance, go back and watch the uh, the SEC storied Chrome. very very good, very very well done. But uh, right. just somebody who, uh, not not featured in this game necessarily, but um, somebody that everybody who consumes SEC football should know about.
1: Yeah, um, it's it's pretty incredible. Like some of the, some of the people on these coaching staffs were, I mean, you have Howard Schnellenberger ends up winning the national title at Miami, and he was under Bryant at one point. Like you know, Gene Songs obviously Pat Dye. Um, geez, Jackie Sherrill, Sylvester Croom, all these, all these different crazy. It's a pretty good coaching tree. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I wish I would have been able to find the exact roster from that team and I I haven't been able to find it, but I will say one player or one uh, name that did stand out was, uh, the coaching staff from that team in 1982, Bruce Arians was the running backs coach.
0: Oh, that's right. That is a great prominent extra.
1: It's well, Bruce Arians does not have the same, um, Bama fans don't remember Bruce Arians in a very positive light, as the rest of his uh, resume would probably warrant. Because he's also the guy who was the offensive coordinator in 1997 when Alabama was lost to Auburn and had uh, a chance to win the game, and had the football. I think they were up 16-14 with a chance to win the game, and instead of just running the clock out, they threw a screen pass to a fullback who fumbled, and Auburn kicked a field goal to win the game. But yeah, Bruce Bruce Arians also on here too, so that's nice.
0: Uh, Bruce Arians, drink paint, <laughs> something. <laughs> um, but yes, the the staff the staff that Bear Bryant uh, had over the course of his time at Alabama was always always ended up being very very good. I imagine that's a good thing to have at the top of your resume. And Sylvester Croom uh, certainly one of those guys as well. Um, the story arc, favorite line from the broadcast. It did not take. Okay. That- didn't so take long. yeah,
1: it did not take long. But um, before we get into the story arc, I, I, we we have to get into the reason why this was such a big deal, okay? And and I think we talked about the nine wins, right? Like Bear Bryant had, they Alabama had beaten Auburn nine straight times. They would also won by an average of nineteen point six points per game in each one of those games. Under like this was so I talked to one of my good friends, Roger Patrick Myers, about this, and he's a great dude. Um, I don't even know how to describe him uh, as like what he. I don't even know what he does for a living, but he lives in Bear Bryant's old house in Tuscaloosa. He's uh, one of the greatest, I guess, boosters or, or friends, really, that, that I've met like in my time working with SCS because he invited us to his tailgate three years ago, and we hit it off. He's just a really incredible uh, and, and nice guy, and we've, we've become friends ever since. But he was telling me about this game beforehand, and he had this quote, and he was like, I hate to say this, but I didn't ever feel like we were going to lose the game um you know and i felt i feel like maybe i never felt that way at all going into the games before that because they hadn't lost to him in in nine years um and and really like i know that they've had some of these crazy upsets because auburn was favored in this game um apparently like they they were favored despite having the nine game losing streak they had bama had lost two games in a row going into this game and had never lost three times in a row in the same season under bear bryant so you're talking about this is the 25th season of bryant the 24 seasons prior they have five total losses to Auburn, it, total, right? And they four of those five losses were by single scores or, or like, you know single-digit scores or less. Um, I think four of the five were by 14 total points. And they were all teams that were ranked in the top 12, and three of those teams were ranked in the top 10. So this just, an unranked Auburn team beating Bama didn't happen. Yeah. Um, it, it, so it was just, it was very surprising. I, I think uh, when you look at, the, you said this earlier, but like Bryant, in his 24 seasons prior, he finished in the top 10 19 of 24 years at Bama, top 5 12 of the 24. Um, Auburn had only five top 10 finishes in the 24 years that Bryant was there up until this point. So that, that's like the David versus Goliath thing that we're really facing before going into this game.
0: I didn't even realize they had that many. If they had five, yeah. it was even more than I was expecting. Um, all right. Do you have a
1: favorite line from the broadcast? Um, yes, I do. Favorite line from the broadcast was, uh, "What was it here? Good. Here's one. Good kicking. Good defense. No turnovers. That's how you win a game. That's how you win a football game." That was Frank Broyles um, late in the game. Mm. But my favorite line was. It was kind of foreshadowing. It's not a cold take by any means, but uh, one. Whoa, Nelly! Anytime. He I, think, I don't think he
0: said "Whoa, Nelly" in this game.
1: I'm going to throw it out there regardless, because we would be just c- completely off base to not give him a shout out for that, the greatest quote ever in cultural history. But you're right. I don't think he had one in this game, yeah. um, which I was kind of surprised about. But he did, Frank Porrell said, uh, on the third and goal, right before the above the top, he said, watch what this freshman does. You can see why many people say he's the second best talent in the Southeast. He's going over the top, trying to get there, and gets to the one foot line. He gets hit. Right before the goal line, and, yeah. and that was the exact way they described him trying to score. And it was it was obviously foreshadowing. It was pretty funny.
0: I had that included later later as well. Um, Keith Jackson is he's the best. He opens the game with this line. Uh, if it is in fact the iron, but I'm not going to do a Keith Jackson. I can't do a Keith don't, Jackson. Yeah, don't yeah don't. That'd be bad. That'd be just disgraceful. Um, Hello. You know, <laughs> but you can only say like two words. You know yeah. what i said like, whoa, Nelly, or hello, Heisman. Yeah, there um, you go. Nothing more than that. So this, uh, this opening that he has, if it is, in fact, the Iron Bowl, you can expect a whole lot of scrap iron to be left when the scuffling is done today because they really get after each other in this long-running series. Amazing. That sets the stage so, so well. Love it. At halftime, we have to oh, talk God. about this. So the sideline reporter for ABC, who... How do I put this delicately?
1: I think. Bear Bryant, I don't think, respected women in this field at the time. I'll just say it. I'll, I'll say it for you.
0: And I don't think she earned any respect this day. We'll just say that. We'll yeah. say that. So she asked Bear why one of these like post halftime interviews that I'm surprised they even did back then because they're so awkward and forced. Um, and we'll look back on them 20 years from now and we'll be like, why did we do that for so long? It was really dumb. Um, So she asked Bear uh, why he went with Ken Coley to pass instead of the more proven Walter Lewis, who was the starter in this game, late in the first half when they needed a touchdown and they're trying to to rally. And it was a weird move, it looked like at the time, to put Ken Coley in. And Bear says, trying to win the game. Everything I do, I'm trying to win the game. And he was very, very irritated. You could tell, for sure. And she then makes the mistake of saying, no reason then? Because she just doesn't that know what was, to say.
1: I was surprised she said that part. Very say surprised.
0: That. So then Bear, of course, is like not having it. He's like, I don't have to apologize for who I play. I'm trying to win the game. And okay, Clearly, like we could look at that move and be like, it was a weird move. Ken Coley was essentially Taysom Hill in this role. A guy who started yeah. at three different positions for this team, started at halfback, defensive back, and quarterback at different times. And they're like, let's just bring in Ken Coley. I don't know why that he did that instead of having Walter Lewis in late in the first half. And it was a weird move, but that interaction was so cringe that it was like, oh man, I can't imagine being Keith Jackson because it looked like Keith Jackson and Frank Royals fed her the question and she just like didn't know how to handle it. And I would, I don't know if Keith Jackson would have handled it infinitely better, but I can guarantee you he would have bear would have respected it a little bit more.
1: I, so I've, I've seen this before too, like where they've had like sideline broadcasts and, and he said stuff like, Hey little lady or, or whatever, like it, like something he just, I mean, it, listen, it was, I'm not making excuses for mis- like being misogynistic or, or whatever, or, or, and I'm not even saying that's what Bear Bryant was at all. But in 1982, th- this was not as common as it is now. And I don't think even his response, no one really expected him to be like, hey, you're doing a fantastic job. I'm I'm really happy to see equality in the workplace here and, and you guys getting this opportunity. It, like, nobody was expecting that. He was, it was real bad. I mean, it was, it was a real bad it was Bad moment. all around. It was uncomfortable. I, I, it was so uncomfortable. And it was like, it, like it was unprofessional, I think, from almost from both sides, because her follow up was like, "No reason, like, then? What? Yeah, it was. Yeah, and so it, it was, it, which was made it kind of funny. But he, because the way she even said it, it wasn't even her question. like, "The guys in the booth, Frank Broyles, Bar- yeah. Bar- Chris Broyles Bar- wanted to know." And, and, and Frank Broyles, Bar- obviously the Frank Broyles Bar- Award, he was the coach at Oklahoma for years, Arkansas, and, years and years very long time. Arkansas, left. my bad. What am I thinking of? Um, yeah. So he was a coach at, at Arkansas for years and years and years, and they were good friends. And so th- that was. And whenever I hear somebody say Bear Bryant was good for him, somebody, I just assume that means drinking buddies. And, and so I think that that was pretty surprising that, <laughs> that he was like, hey, tell him Frank says to ask this. And then <laughs> she does. And it, it was real bad. Yeah, it was. All right.
0: Let's let's stick with those guys with Keith and Frank um, in the opening. As I just mentioned before, right after that, he has that great line Keith Jackson does he's talking about how he and many people believe that Bama's win against Penn State in the middle of the year was going to fuel this all-time great team. And then second half of the year, they just fell apart. So Keith Jackson has this quote where he says, but since that time, there's been three losses and it's accelerated rumors that Bryant at age 69 would quit at the end of this season. Last night, he told me emphatically, no. Frank Broyles, Known him all these years, visited visited with him recently. He told you no, and then Broyles goes on to say he certainly did. He previously expressed to me many times that he wanted to coach until they told him that he couldn't, or he wanted to be drug out in a box.
1: So that was on my list too, because that got, that one that one was awkward.
0: <laughs> and obviously, he retires after the bowl game, and yeah, I mean, but to it still at the time emphatically be saying, no, 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 that kind of, you know, that harks back to what you were saying before about how he still thought he could do it and he wasn't going to stop unless he really had a reason to.
1: Yeah. You know, it's one of those things too. I think it's almost a microcosm of, of the stuff I was trying to allude to earlier and, and just the way these two fan bases think where Bam has been on top. Like we talked about with the Bo Jackson recruitment and I don't remember who the guy was, what his actual name was. He said it, but, he tells Bo Jackson you might not play until you're a junior, but he also says Auburn hasn't beaten Bama in nine years and they yeah. never will again, which yeah. is, even me, I hear that I'm like, that seems like a lot. That's... Like, I mean, Tennessee hasn't beaten Bama in like 13 years. They're gonna beat Bama again at some point. Like, that's just how, that's how football works, sir, and, and games and sports. But like, it, it was so odd for them to have this mindset of, I think like where, I, I, don't, I think he more than anybody thought it was like, this is, I get to decide when this is over. And I get to decide when is not on top anymore, when I'm not on top. It, and that did not happen. It did not happen.
0: Did you have a cold take from the broadcast?
1: I had a couple. Um, that was one of them. Would not quit at the end of the season. No, no. And, and we'll share a story, too. It's how, why that, that quote, especially, like, I know we joke around about it. It's, like, very eerie for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, because of how, you know, he died a month after, or less than a month after. It's crazy. After retiring, which is um, outrageous. Uh, I don't have... This isn't a coldest take this is one of my favorite quotes from it i thought this was really interesting um, we talked about what he said about pat Dye early on about how he was more concerned with pat Dye than maybe even his own himself but they talked about this off the top of the broadcast and he said and hey, listen if you don't want to watch the, like the whole game of, of these old old games do yourself a favor and just watch the intros with keith jackson they're great they're really it's good Incredible." Um, but he says you know that brings up the element of recruiting the mamas and the daddies that the old man might not be there next year and then they talked to Frank Royals, and Frank Royals says Bears established himself as the greatest coach in America. Now he has to reestablish himself that he can still coach because of his age. And the mamas and the daddies of these great prospects have to be convinced of that, or they will go right over to Auburn. And that was if the most foreshadowing thing you could I don't even think they were talking about Bo Jackson. Because no. you have to also keep in mind at the time, like these are this is when there's not one of the reasons why I always will say forever, Saban is a much better coach than. Be- is a much better coach than Bear Bryant. I I don't think it's really even close because how intense the recruiting part of it is now and how important it is and how back in the day, one, you could cheat rampantly. I mean, there's just widespread cheating. And then, I mean, if you don't believe me, SMU is one of the top teams in the country this year. And then on top of that, you didn't have any kind of limitations for scholarship signing. So Bama would sign 30, 35 players a year. I don't think they even thought Bo Jackson was going to be this big miss.
0: It's amazing to think about that.
1: Yeah. Amazing
0: to think about that. Uh, he is the Jadavian Colony reminder that normal people don't play this game. I thought going in that it would be like almost every time that he touched the ball, but then I got the very Herschel like reminder that for most of this game, he's sort of bottled up. And he Oof. didn't look like this all world talent playing in that offense. It's still really baffling that they didn't get him the ball in space more. I know I say that a lot, but doing all this I-formation stuff with him, um, it just seemed like they weren't really into anything um, anything that was going to fool a defense. And it was like, all right, we're going to gonna we're gonna do whatever we can to, to get it to you with these 10-man boxes, and hopefully our blocking is going to hold up. And that's about it. For most of the game, I actually thought that Lionel James had more impressive moments and was more of like the you got to see what he's doing whenever he gets the ball and he had a different kind of burst than Bo did at the time at least and that's not to say that he was like a faster better player overall than Bo not saying that but he just ran the ball a little bit differently I don't know if that's that's part of it was vision or what it was but when Bo has the 52 yard run Auburn had nothing going. I mean, just no. nothing going. And it wasn't until they finally let him be the deep back where he busts loose. They they're playing him at fullback and out of the eye, and it's just like why why are you doing this with this guy when you can see what he's capable of with a head of steam? Maybe this would be a good idea to try and mix things up a little bit. Um, and that play, of course, set up Auburn's field goal um, to to make it 22 to 17. But after he had that run, he doesn't touch
1: the ball again the rest of the drive. I I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, I meant to say this earlier too, and I, I apologize for forgetting. But prominent extras, Al Del Greco. Oh, that's true. Freshman kicker ends up having Good point. a 17-year NFL career uh, for Auburn. Of course, Auburn had a kicker. Of yep. course, Auburn had a kicker. Um, anyway, so which one are we on here? Davion
0: Clowney a reminder: normal people don't play this game.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's Bo. Like there's there's a play in. The, I want to say it's the second quarter where it's just a routine play, but I think they might have been like a misdirection where they, they like fake like they're going to go right and they just pitch it to him and he goes left. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who it is, but it's a defensive back. And, and that defense... <sighs> As always, when I went back to watch this, I still got upset that somehow Bama lost this game because if you look at the stats, especially after the third quarter, it makes oh, no yeah. logical sense that they lost this game. I think but, that of the game
0: still the yard; it was a 300-yard difference between the two teams at the end of the game. Right, end of the
1: end of the third quarter was like that, and at the end of the game, it was ridiculous. But he um, he misses like like he whoever it is is in the backfield and like squares up like he like 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 stops like just trying to get in like tackling position. Short, like you know, like feet shoulder width apart, ready to go. Which I think probably would have played with almost any other player at this time and he would have been able to like make the tackle because he's in front of him. And within like a blink of an eye, Bo is around the corner and, and past him. And I think it was only like a nine maybe it'd been like a five yard gain. But he was it just showed how much better of an athlete he was than every other person on the field every time he stepped on the field. Yep. Absolutely. I think
0: Bo is, I don't think he's fair for our next category. The Trent Richardson, I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. Because I would argue that Bo did make it in the NFL. He obviously had a catastrophic hip injury that prevented him from being the Hall of Famer that many thought he was capable of being. So I didn't want to include him for this category. Um, I instead went with Eddie Lowe, the Alabama linebacker who was a captain on this team. Everywhere. I mean, everywhere. It seemed like he was making plays left and right. I don't know what the the tackle total in this game was. For him, but it had to be really, really high because yeah. we, we don't have access to a box score from this game. Um it's crazy. Didn't get drafted though because he was 5'10 and then spent like 10 years in the CFL, uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, of course. Uh, also became the first black mayor of Phoenix City, Alabama. Fun fact. Which is right outside of
1: Auburn. Yeah. So good for you, Eddie Lowe. Made yeah. something of yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really know who that would be for this one. Uh, I mean, like you could, say, Jeremiah Castile played for I don't know, like six years. Yeah. Maybe like, maybe Tommy Wilcox. Tommy Wilcox is one of those guys that was like a, a very I don't know. He, like people love Tommy Wilcox because he was like this gritty, hard nosed type of guy, and he was an All American that year. But he I don't think he ever made it in the NFL. It's yeah, him.
0: it's a little bit tougher to find find some of these examples in you know when we watch games like this because individuals don't really have as much of a chance to shine. I, I, yeah. I feel like that's fair. You're not seeing the skill players, you know, break off big time plays left and right, or something like that. You're not seeing the quarterbacks with rocket arms, you know, really get to air it out thirty times in a given game right. or something. So it is a little bit tougher to find the I, guys that you can't believe made in the NFL.
1: I honestly wanted to say Walter Lewis because of the fact that, um, I and mean, one like one of the I told you this before we, the, uh, we got on air was that the, the story I heard about Walter Lewis the most is when he threw the ball out of bounds on fourth down against Tennessee. And I went back, I talked to Roger Patrick Myers about this, and my dad was way off base on this one, because apparently it happened against Mississippi State, and it happened in 1980, and it wasn't also, it wasn't Walter Lewis. It was the other guy, it was Coley. Um, but I would include, I wanted to include Walter Lewis because, I mean, he completed 62% of his passes. Which was really high at the time, really good. Really high at the time. Um, had 1,500 yards. I thought it at times looked really good in this game. I still don't understand why they took, the quarter, took him out at times, but... Um, also, it wouldn't have been that big a surprise because I think African-American quarterbacks at the time just were not something that the NFL was was ready for.
0: This is true. The thing that you didn't know slash remember until re-watching this. Um, you brought this up earlier, but I definitely didn't know that Bama had lost, including this game, three games in a row, which they hadn't done that in a specific year at any time that Bear had been at Alabama. So to think... The last three regular season games that he ever coached at Alabama, he lost all. My understanding, they won the Liberty Bowl, but for that to finally happen this time, it's easy to kind of look back and connect the dots and be like, ah, you know, he wasn't right. You know, he's dealing with health issues and maybe he wasn't, you know, his usual self. But I mean, it's weird for me to think that the last game that he ever coached at Bryant Denny Stadium was a
1: loss to Southern Miss. That's that crazy. one was surprising. Um, that was really surprising because I, I remember. Hearing about this, like growing up, like his last season, they, they were always like, What do you mean they why were they in the Liberty Bowl? Like, how did that even happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact they lost to LSU was kind of surprising. I mean, like, they and losing obviously to, to Southern Miss is, I mean, an unranked team, but like, that's a team that started out number four in the country and was ranked in the top ten just number two two. prior to this game. They were like
0: number two in the country after the Penn State game. And yep. they just totally fell apart down the stretch, and they fell apart because the turnovers. I did not know this either. Yeah, they had 32 turnovers this year coming into this game. They averaged three a game. They had lost 22 fumbles. Yet Bear always insisted that they were running the wishbone, as you always bring up that quote about him and his stance on throwing the football. Yikes! Only two things
1: can happen, and and. One of them is bad. I just, I mean, I, I just had to do a double take when I saw that. Like, 32 turnovers. And it ended up being one of the difference makers in this game. Yeah. Was, I mean, very, very surprising. Um, the thing I didn't know or remember until watching this was, okay, we talked about, like, just the, the difference in how much I think Bama outplayed Auburn for most of this game. Yes. And because I just thought this was, like, a classic back and forth, and they must have been – like you know, it must have been like '83 and '84 and '85 when they just couldn't stop Bo, and he's just running up and down the sidelines all game long. So you look at just the, the stats on it. it the, first off, there's the intercept, there's a fumble in the first quarter, where Bama's like, I think inside the 20 yard line, and somehow or like inside of Auburn's 20 yard line, they fumble, and the guy in, ends up leading to an Auburn touchdown to tie it up. Then there's the interception at the towards the end of the first half. Where there's a Bama player right under the ball. like the Walter Lewis drops back. Is about to, mm-hmm. He's getting hit. And the ball just goes straight up in the air. Bama receiver standing right under it. Never tries to make a play on the ball. Never
0: goes to the ball. Just waits for I, it to come. Uh, Auburn defensive back comes in. Makes a better play on the ball.
1: Still upset about that. Well, he, I mean, not a better play. He was the only one that made a play on the ball in on that True. one. So it was very frustrating. Um, but then again like I just kind of thought Bo was still probably running wild and, and he was a, he was in the top 10 in the country as a true freshman in yards per carry that year um shout out Marcus Dupree who led the country by the way ah at Oklahoma good boy um so but at the end of the third quarter they flash this graphic okay and if you watch the replay until the fourth quarter you you'll be as confused as, as I was I think they show this graphic at the end of the third quarter total first downs Bama 23 to 6. OK, mm-hmm. rushing yards, 221 for Bama, 100 for Auburn. Passing yards, 219 for Bama, 32 for Auburn. Look at that balance, Connor. How about that? Yep,
0: on balance. Um,
1: total yards, Bama 440, Auburn 132. Total plays 65 to 37. Time of possession, 2717 to 1743. However, those turnovers, it always takes something crazy, Connor. It always just takes something crazy. Auburn but what I forgot most over, about Bama it. Did. What I forgot most about it was how much time was left in the game and how many things happened after Bo over the top.
0: Yes, let's get into that because the sequence, you think back and everybody knows the play, of course, that gave Auburn the win in that game and and they needed a touchdown from uh, fourth and one with the game on the line. But things that happened before and the things that happened after are sort of lost in the shuffle there. Right. I didn't realize that, Keith Jackson actually said over the top earlier on short yardage. Didn't realize that that had happened. Um, Bo also hurtled earlier on that drive to pick up a first down. And there's this catch that he on makes. On fourth and one, too. Yes, this is true. There's uh, a catch that Bo makes in the flat where he nearly goes over the top of two Alabama defenders. And this is what, of course, sets up this play. And so they're down at the one, and it sets up this all-or-nothing fourth and one with two thirty remaining. They're down twenty-two to seventeen. You need the touchdown, and Bo actually demolishing that Alabama defender led to an injury timeout. And so yeah. that's when the famous Bo goes back to the goes back to the sideline, and he tells Pat Dye, "He's like, man, I was a seven-foot high jumper in high school. Let me just go over the top." And Frank Broyles, as you brought up earlier, predicts it on the broadcast. And is like, it'd be a good yeah. time to give the ball to the freshman and go over the top and do the same play that they did earlier. It worked. He's like, give the ball to Jackson. Go over the top. Um, and sure enough, that's exactly what happens. So what I had forgotten, and by the way, just so that we're, we're totally clear on like why that's significant and why this play Gain such popularity besides the obvious it ends the streak of nine straight losses and and what it means for auburn fans all those different things to beat bear bryant like you didn't see dudes hurtling like that it's not like it is now where you really see that as as a a consistent play and it wasn't that he did the traditional like i'm gonna try and hurdle a defender in the open field but you didn't see that as a a, as a mechanism per se you'd see maybe somebody like walter payton pull it off herschel Herschel Herschel, could, one. Herschel would do it as well, but it wasn't something that was some so it wasn't something that many college backs were at that point doing, whether yeah. some were willing to or not, I don't know, but it was just still an atypical thing to see, oh, let's put the entire game on this type of a play.
1: So, I will disagree with you on that because that's something that Herschel definitely did. Herschel um, did it, yep. For sure, uh, you know, and Marcus Allen, who I think was out of college at this point, he was with the Raiders, he was somebody that did it a decent amount, but like in the NFL. Um, but the only reason I would say, and this is, maybe it wasn't like rampant, but but in that 78 Sugar Bowl or 79 Sugar Bowl against Penn State, Bama versus Penn State, they have a the famous goal line stand, and on third, down, I think third and fourth maybe, that's exactly what they tried to do was – try to go over the top and have these guys like, you know, because the whole point of like the, like in the trenches is like you're trying to get lower than the other one. And they would just have the running back kind of, you know, go over the top where, and they had this huge goal on sand and stop where he, he famously doesn't make it over the top. I don't think that, I think it was happening. I don't think it was successful. Like it was the, like this, yeah. like it, that's, that's a, maybe a better way to put it because, you know, people weren't able to jump like that. No,
0: no, they weren't. And he made that look a lot easier than it probably was. I totally did not know that he went over the top again after this play and, and fumbled. fumbled. And fumbled because they had gotten the ball back because Bama Bama still had plenty of time. Still two and a half minutes on the clock, but wasn't able to get anything going. Failed fourth down so Auburn takes over and they had Auburn's already celebrating and they're already hugging Pat Dye and it looks like the game's over and but Bama still has the timeout, so they actually have to run plays. And they try to go over the top again to convert this to convert on, on third down, I think it was. And he fumbles. Third and one. Yeah, fumbles. And the ball comes out, and Bama takes over. And you're like, wait a minute. Bama's All Bama has to do is kick a field goal. They're down one. They're on like the 30-yard line at that point. If you can get 40 yards in a minute, which not that crazy – Bama How could, the way
1: they've been throwing the ball that day? Yeah, they
0: could. I mean, they could have thrown the ball and, and gotten in position to be able to do that, but the passing game couldn't do anything on that last ditch drive, and everybody totally forgets about the fact that Bo fumbled and could have turned out yeah. to be the goat of the game instead of the hero.
1: And I, I will say, I, I'm, I'm sure there's at least one person out there laughing, like, "Yeah, okay, it would come down to a Bama field goal." Sure. <laughs> At the time, Bama had a pretty good field goal kicker, Paul Kim, and and one of the reasons why it's not that unbelievable is that eighty five game. We've talked about this before. The the kick where Van Tiffin hits his fifty two yard field goal right through someone's hands uh, as time expires for, for Bama to beat Auburn in eight, like in eighty five in the eighty five Iron Bowl. This was kind of similar. It was similar to a couple of games in, in my opinion, like where Auburn's drive was like a seven minute drive. Like it was it was mm-hmm. a. Or like maybe it was like a five-minute drive, but it was like it's very like they melted the clock, they did all the right things. They, it's like they 14 them.
0: place, 64 yards. Yeah. Right. Just a grind of a drive.
1: A great, great drive. And and still, anyway, it's it was a great drive. My my surprise, I think, it was I, if they had to get 40 yards, they they had been doing it all day. They had been mm-hmm. doing it all day. And then these last two drives. They, had, they threw a screen pass on 3rd and 25 on the drive before, and it was... First off, the first play they had after Bogo's over the top, it should have been intercepted. He yeah. Walter Lewis threw it in the middle of like 17 different people. Yep. It was ridiculous. And then um, he has, what do you call it? Uh, they end up they, going like turning the ball over on downs, but they had the ball again, and he throws another interception, and that was the end of the game.
0: That was all she wrote. What would have happened if the result was flipped? Let's say that Bama Wait. did end up having... When did the losing team blow it? That was
1: that was it. The, the
0: the the not being able to stop Bo going over the top was what I
1: oh so yeah. I disagree. Oh okay, go ahead. Sorry about that. So um my my think when when the losing team blew it was I don't one I don't know why they went for two, Bama goes for two early. It wasn't early. Oh why but it was, Bama went
0: for two early on? Yeah, yeah. yeah weird in the move. third Agreed. quarter,
1: I don't understand why they did that. They were it was they they go into halftime down fourteen to thirteen, and when they, they were trailing at one point fourteen to seven, they bring in this other quarterback, uh, and they, they have this like kind of long drive, and then they get they bring in Walter Lewis for this like for third down or something like that, and he can he has this huge completion, but he misses somebody that's literally wide open in the end zone, yeah, yeah, where right. there's no one within like 15 yards of him, mm-hmm. like I mean just wide open. Um, so that was uh, I think one frustrating thing. But they come back out from halftime, they have this uh, great drive, go down like right down Albert's throats and score, and they go for two and at the time it's 19 to th- to 14
0: 19 to 14 to try and make it a 7
1: point game yeah right and i i still to this i don't understand why i just i don't get it
0: i, I yeah a weird move at the time i don't know what the, yeah. I, I don't think the chart would agree with that no um, the, but it the, was
1: weird that they were debating
0: because auburn went for two after bow over the top mm-hmm. and it was weird to hear them even debate that in the broadcast they're like auburn's up one you think they're going to go for two? Uh, I don't know. I think making it a three-point game would be better than making it a two-point game, if you ask me. <laughs> I Dude, don't know. even,
1: even the response—maybe they didn't know what they were doing back then, because Frank Broyles actually says in his response was, well, yeah, I think they're going to try to go for two and make Alabama have to try to uh, score a winning touchdown. Yeah, that like, seems good.
0: That seems good. But at the
1: same time, if they go for two and get it, they're only up by three, so they don't have to go for the—like, what? Like, what are you saying? I, I, well, the because there's no overtime.
0: There's no overtime.
1: No, I, I know, but I'm saying, like, I, I think that Bryant probably would have tried to, if, if they had the ball on the 30-yard line, I'm, I'm sure he probably would have tried to at least kick a field goal to tie it up instead of take the loss. I. That's a maybe fascinating I'm wrong subject, though,
0: of whether yeah. and and Pat Dye, as, as he came to know very well for uh, for what he did against Syracuse, where he did take the yeah. tie and then he gets sent two thousand ties right. or whatever. Like, um, that would have been a fascinating thing of whether or not Bear would have gone for the win had he had the opportunity
1: or yeah. taken the tie when you've got nine straight victories against him. The um the play when the losing team blew it was on third down, not fourth down. Everyone, like, the bow over the top thing obviously makes sense, but it was third and goal. Like, Auburn had the ball, like, just knocking on the door, and they get a, yeah. a penalty. They get, like, a I think on second and goal, it's, like, on the 14-yard line. So on third and goal, they're at the 10-yard line. Like, that's you know, you got to like your chances of a defense that's held strong for most of the day, and they let Bo get down to the one-foot line.
0: They throw the ball to Bo. What a crazy yeah. thought. Crazy thought. He's pretty good when you get him out in space. Um, yeah, those are those are all perfectly, perfectly worthy for sure. Uh, what would have happened uh, afterwards if the result was flipped? A couple things here. Would it have changed Pat Dye's legacy? Think about this. He wouldn't have had a win against Bear because, as we know, this was his last season. The narrative would have been, even if... And I don't, I'm not saying that Pat Dye wouldn't have gone on to have success. Let's say he goes on to have the same amount of success later and everything stays the same. The narrative could have still been, well, you only got good because Bear died. Right. When you have the the fact that he actually had the win against him and it wasn't like, oh, only Auburn only got over the hump because... Alabama was in a, a different time after, after the Bear passed. Tim Brando brought that up about how important Pat Dye's timing was. And we would, I mean, we associate his success with timing to a certain extent, but we definitely would have been like even more so yeah, I mean, he came to Auburn at the right time when Alabama was in that transition, and he was the guy who had all of those things that that he had learned under the Bear that made him a great head coach. But he could do so in his own way at Auburn right. and prevent them from being the redheaded stepchild throughout the eighties. So I, I still say though that like that's that's what you look back on. And you, you'd probably be able to answer this better than I would. That's probably what you would look at and say that that what that's what moved the needle for Auburn. And we talk about program-changing wins. How do you get people nationally to think about you differently as a program when you mm-hmm. overcome those big, long losing streaks? And it's like, yeah, this is this is a, a different time. And, of course, Auburn wasn't the red-headed stepchild in 82 and wasn't the red-headed stepchild by the time 89 rolled around and they were able to actually host the Iron Bowl.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the biggest... Uh, difference or the only difference because if the result was flipped sure you have maybe some like you could still say they never lost three in a row but that's not really a stat that's like that worthy especially when you look at what Bryant's resume and legacy already was um so i don't think that really matters I, i think it's it's i don't even know if it's it's stuff that's taken away from auburn because the following year he, like, Pat Dye leads them to what, nine, one, and one, or something like that. Like, in a season where they still should have won the national championship, and they were one of the best teams in the country. I, I don't think, I think what this did was really put Auburn, like, like you said, like, on the map from not being the redhead stepchild, mm-hmm. um, from having, from being able to get guys like Bo Jackson and be like, like, they were able to play early. Like, this is, this whole course of the rivalry is changing. And, um, whether like Bama liked it or not, or Bama fans liked it or not, it definitely changed the '80s, and it's. Yeah. I think it, what was interesting about it was it, it almost immediately sent Auburn into this form of of quality and stability as a program, and Bama in the total opposite of that, and would go in to get Ray Perkins, and then having Bill Curry and having a lot of this like coaching turnover. Um, yeah, I mean, I, but I, I think like you said, I don't think much changes for Bama because if if they win the game, like. You also have to remember the year before the the game where they, I guess like the 81 Iron Bowl, Bama comes back and wins a late, and that's Bear Bryant's 315th win, which was what gave him the most victories mm-hmm. for any coach in the history of Division One football. So that was already a milestone, and it was against Auburn. So I don't think this really does much for, for his legacy.
0: The only thing that I thought could have added to it, um, would it, it would have been a cool thing to be able to say that he ended his career with 10 straight Iron Bowl wins. That's it. That's yeah. the only thing that really, but everything else, yeah, it's all, it's all there. It doesn't really you, change.
1: You also wonder if, like, with the way this team was, I know they were ranked number two in the country at some point and in the top ten two weeks prior to this, but they go play an Illinois team that's not great. If they end up winning this game and have to go to a better bowl, I wonder if they end up losing that and that's that's Bear Bryant's last game ends at a loss, maybe instead of uh, in you know in like the way the victory and like the fashion ended in,
0: yeah. Um, what would it have changed Bo's legacy? This is interesting, Ooh. too. I always thought on the 30 for 30, as I said earlier, that they did not really spend a ton of time talking about his football stuff at Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, they talked about the recruitment story, and they talked about like the NFL drafts and all that, but they didn't spend a ton of time specifically talking about his Auburn accomplishments. You know, they talked about the Heisman Trophy, I get that, but the one game that they really slowed it down for was this. And without this play, is he revered in the same way that Herschel was? Possibly, but I think it helped that he also did this in 82 when this is the year that they had overlap, the only year that yeah. those two had overlap. And the same day, Herschel had that ridiculous 59-yard touchdown run against Georgia Tech where they did a game Crazy. break for it, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this guy is... broke like six tackles in the open field. It wasn't even fair. Yeah, Georgia had beaten Auburn a week earlier, but still – you know, I think that Bo, one of the great things that Bo is always going to be known for is being the guy who helped out take down big, bad Alabama. And I think yeah. that you point to a game like this, and nobody remembers that he had half of his rushing yards in this game on one play. Um, you remember that he made the ultimate goal line play when Auburn absolutely needed it. And again... His numbers are still there. It's one yard. It's not changing that in the grand scheme of things, but I I think that it there's something to be said though for having a, a play where, like we talk about having your Heisman moment or whatever. Yeah, having that career defining moment. I, I think that that Bo is is certainly somebody who, when you look through over the course of time, if you can look back on one moment, you're always going to come back to
1: this. I think it's a really good point, and I, I feel bad for not even thinking about this earlier, because if you think about it, like, this, this is, I could easily see this, especially from Bama fans, everyone knows how great Bo Jackson is, but if they don't win this one, and the overlap, did you mean with Herschel or with Bear Bryant?
0: The overlap with Herschel.
1: Okay, so the overlap with Bear Bryant, I think, is arguably even more important. For, yeah, that's good especially point. Especially for, for Auburn as a program, because... Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you could definitely make the excuse after that. Well, yeah, well, they never beat him with Bear, you know. And if they lose this game, he goes 1-3 his career versus, versus Bama because, you know, he finished 2-2. Two and two. Um, I think if that – and those are all years where Auburn was ranked way ahead of Bama the following three years. So you could kind of look at it more so as, like, a from that rivalry, a disappointment, even though he put up all these, these great numbers and yards, they didn't win all those games. To be able to do it and beat – there's just there's honestly I don't know if there's a bigger moment like the cam back thing is cool kick six all that kind of stuff and, and they've beaten they've knocked off like punt Bama punt Bama was ranked number two in the country but when you talk about being able to knock off Bear Bryant in Alabama and you hadn't done it in nine years and a freshman's able to do it there's no bigger moment I feel like um, especially during his career
0: and it's cool because it was it's an all or nothing play yeah you, know, it, you don't you don't convert right there I mean yes I guess technically. Auburn still would have had a chance to get the ball back. Bama would have taken over at the one-yard line. But Auburn only had one timeout. There would have been two and a half minutes left. I I don't know. And you still need a touchdown. You still need a touchdown. You haven't yeah. been able to throw the ball all day. So, like, it did feel very much like this all-or-nothing type play. And to a play that it's not just a, a a dive up the middle. It's it's over the top. And it's showing these, these physical attributes yeah. that he has that are just – very, very rare. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it is kind of the the perfect thing that represents Bo's college career. Um, and that is also my uh, player image that I'm always yeah. going to remember thinking of this. Uh, do, was there any, like, Bear, the the look on Bear's face after was, and, and and we should bring up Pat Dye as well, of course, and, like, how he celebrated this. And you could yeah. s- definitely tell it meant so much to him. But the look that, that Bear had on his face after where he was just like, he, you mean? could tell that he was all sorts of angry.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, that, that turnover stat is just so crazy. But I, I think that the, the the thing that I always took away from this is not bow over the top. Oh, okay. um, like the the lasting image or play. It was the fans in the stands afterwards, like the Auburn yeah. fans, and it was complete chaos because, I mean. Nine games. Like, I, I remember being in the stadium when Bama had lost six games in a row to Tuberville and, and winning 36 nothing, and you couldn't wait until that last second rolled off the clock so you could start screaming and hollering and, and cheering. And, like, <laughs> and, and I, I think there's, you know, like, this is nine years of pent-up frustration and, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. And to be able to do it in the stadium that Bama plays, they had, that's where they played that Penn State game earlier that season. had had that big win and they played all their big games there it was i just will never forget like the just the sheer joy of of an elation i think of, of their fans was was probably the the main takeaway i had
0: very very cool why does it seem like when you watch older games like that fans look so much more animated in the crowd whereas if you just watch a game from this last year it's not that they're subdued or anything like that they're still going crazy i don't know if it's just like the camera maybe the camera's shaking a little bit or something like that but it just seems like Fans were going berserk. I mean, just like there's so many other fun things
1: you can do nowadays too. Like I I mean, I think like (laughs) back then, like just I don't think this was probably such a huge outlet. Like whereas now, you know, there's plenty of stuff you can do that make you that excited. You could, I don't, I don't know what the examples are. They're all inappropriate, but there you go.
0: I think uh, for our next debates down south, I have a, it's a Heisman-related idea that I want, I want to throw at you that I think is uh, is very topical that we'll talk about after. What is after it, Connor? Is it
1: why is every single Bama Heisman winner or finalist not worthy of winning?
0: Nope, something totally different. Totally different. And the deal that I made with you with this because yeah, okay. So for it just met more, we have now done by my counts three Bama losses. And the first game that we ever did for this was indeed a Bama win. It was the 2012 SEC Championship. But I think we have done three straight Bama losses, if I'm not mistaken. Because yeah. we had the A&M one. Um, and then what else? What am I forgetting? I thought we had another one. I
1: thought I'm we had sure another we Bama did. loss.
0: I'm sure we did. Um, um,
1: we, we definitely we did. Did we do the 2008 SEC Championship?
0: No, we did not. We've only done one SEC Championship so far.
1: Okay.
0: Um, but anyways, um, I don't know the deal that I made with you, because we have done, you know, we just did the, the A&M loss recently, uh, was that we are going to pick a Bama win of your choosing at a date to be named later, just to think that we don't only talk about Bama losses when we talk about classic games. We're going to stay away yeah. from what, you know, like ESPN so Classic does.
1: What I'm going to do is this. Um... I'm gonna wait. It's like there's so many good ones, but uh, I'm gonna wait until it's not gonna be a classic like nail biter. Like oh, it's just gonna be a beatdown. It's gonna be a (laughs) beatdown, and I'm gonna wait to see which fan base on social media makes me the most angry over the next couple weeks. And just you know what, like just play nice, play nice, because otherwise, you think I won't get out here and be like, wow, why are they doing the 2012? Bama Auburn game where Bama won 49 to nothing. You're, you know what? You're the reason why. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah, it's, that was a nice trade. That's a nice trade.
0: 2017 Vandy. Bama Vandy. Let's do it. <laughs> that actually
1: was one of my favorites. That's the first uh, Bama game me and Allie watched together.
0: Oh, sentimental value. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Uh, this has been fun. Hopefully everybody has enjoyed this. Um, we're going to continue to crank out three pods a week until further notice. But hey, we have. Football coming back, sort of. Voluntary workouts are back. So, uh, if there is news that it, that is coming out, we are going to be talking about it. Pat Dye, Bear Bryant, Bo Jackson. Got an imitation for any one of those
1: guys? No, absolutely not. Tim Brando
0: does a really, really good Pat Dye, a really right. good one. Like, like that's a little bit like, kind of creepy. He does. I mean, he does all. Of them. He does Dooley really well. Um, he does Bowden really well too. It was like. Wheel of Impressions,
1: uh, Tim Brando. We're going to have right, to get him so on the he's podcast. He's hilarious, your new best friend. Can't <laughs> No, we, we have to move up to get him on the podcast. I, I don't have an impression, but I'll say it just means more. obvious.